0: Hi, this is Aaron Asrod, and welcome to the 147th episode of the Truth Island podcast. A question that bewildered philosophers from Rousseau, Hobbes, and Calvin is the question of whether human beings are fundamentally good or evil. In some sects of Christianity, for example, the idea of original sin, which traces back to Adam and Eve, suggests that men are born with the natural inclination to sin, but through faith and religious devotion can solely take steps to liberate their soul from their default inclinations. The philosopher Socrates similarly is noted as saying that all wrong is done without knowing, and that wisdom remains the keystone in first becoming aware of our behavior and then eventually correcting it. Perhaps the most cynical of all human behavior remains the philosopher Thomas Hobbes, who believes that the only solution to man's natural tendency towards evil is a strong police state with ironclad rules and strict punishments. Hobbes is quoted as saying, the condition of man is a condition of war, of everyone against everyone. However, the notion that men are born evil has not always been the dominant thought. The philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau is stated to believe that all men are born good but it is rather society that corrupts as opposed to serving as a healing agent for people's morality. Quote, everything is good as it comes from the hands of the maker of the world, but degenerates once it gets into the hands of man, end quote. Surprisingly, the area of science remains fairly silent on this question, leaving off with a more Darwinian interpretation that men simply do what is required of them to survive. A few scientific studies show that babies are more likely to identify with puppets that act selflessly, and in some cases attempt to help adults with minor tasks without any preconditioning, suggesting some type of primitive moral compass is at play. Another study suggests that most humans have an initial gut reaction towards helping one another, but once they are given time to think about it, they become less moral and altruistic the more that they talk. Joining me to help find out if I was born good or bad, I am once again joined by Kenny. Kenny, I hope our talking about good and evil doesn't make us any less moral, as the studies may suggest.
1: No, of course not. You're often of the best people alive. <laughs> no, um, the idea that we're born evil is, well, evidence. You know, there's evidence to support it. If not, if not specifically born evil, and just that human beings are. I don't believe in original sin, but I do believe that. So I, I have to I have to go. I have to go with the fact. I have to go with the belief that people are born good, and over time become vile creatures of mean wickedness. You know.
2: I you know I, I think I'm in the same place as you right now. So if you would have talked to me ten years ago. I would have been like, they're all damn wicked. They're all, they're all wicked. Everyone's evil, right? (laughs) So if if you would have talked to me 10 years ago, I I was, I I was definitely a Hobbesian. I definitely definitely believe that like, oh man, if we don't have a strong police state, um, people are going to be just like screwing one another and so forth. And it's like, and I was not coming from a bad place. You know, it's like, if you think back to high school, it is it is animalistic. It is pure chaos. It is it, it is like savagery. It it is you know might makes right. As I'm getting older, though, I'm starting to realize how much of that wickedness is kind of learned. Um, and, and I think that we do a lot of wickedness onto one another. Because, for example, I used to think of like the bullies that I would encounter in school, and I'm like, man, there, there's so many of them. Surely, surely this world is wicked. And I would agree with Hobbes in that sense. But now I'm starting to think and and starting to understand that like a lot of bullies come from the fact that they're being beaten by their parents at home, right? Because where where is that aggression and where where is that animalistic need to dominate coming from? And I used to think, well, just some kids are born rotten and that's why they're bullies. But now I'm realizing that probably a lot of that learned aggression comes from their parents. They're being beaten by their parents, so now when they come to school, they're taking it out on the other kids, especially kids that are smaller in stature or weaker than themselves. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, some yeah, I, I think that's a good observation in a sense of there is, there is, there is this, you know, there is the fact a lot of these kids are, you know, learning their bad behavior or learning, picking up things that cause bad behavior. And it's usually from their parents or from a close relative and, and so forth. So this this kind of occurred to me when the idea that okay, what what does it mean to be evil to do wrong? What does it mean? I, I think that doing wrong has to do you know um, well it it's simple it's doing wrong either morally or lawfully or um, and so forth. But a baby, a baby, a child, not even a child, but a baby. Let's start with the baby because that's where that's how we all begin can't consciously, as far as we know, do wrong. Because they can't choose between that which is um, good or evil, proper or improper. They they just, they're, they're here to be fed, they cry, they scream, they just want food. Um, and we say, well, why is crying and screaming the only way to, to get our attention? Well, it is. There's nothing morally wrong with crying and screaming. And it does get our attention, doesn't it? But even if a baby were to flap its arms around, it's just flapping its arms around, or, or we, usually they usually bite their mom when they're being best breastfed. There's a there's the uh, kids, babies have been known to do that. They just clap down so hard and the mom, you know, feels a certain a certain sharp pain. Now the baby did not do that on purpose. He's simply trying to get as much milk as he can or trying to hold on to the source of the milk. And there is there is no the idea that's okay, you know, is, is morality simply a matter of what you did or your intent behind what you did? You know, um, there is a there is an example given, I believe, by Lewis, where he says, if you're in a bus and somebody, and you're walking from the front of the bus to the back of the bus, and somebody along the middle of the bus, the middle section of the bus, puts his legs his leg out to trip you, but he misses. And you step over his leg in, in time he says it's even though he did not succeed the insult is still there the pain is still there because he he had purposefully done it he had done it so that you with the intent for you to be so you know to fall and to get hurt but he missed you're fine you're physically fine but it still bothers you but let's look at it the same exact scenario with one just one slight difference somebody had you're walking from the front of the bus to the back of the bus. Somebody had stretched, not knowing that you were coming, and tripped you. So unintentionally, tripped you, and you fell this time. So this one, this person is actually easier, far easier to forgive, because there's there is nothing to forgive. It was an accident, nothing. But but in this situation, you actually fell to the ground. But upon realizing that it was an accident, that there is no no hesitation, no pause. He does this to illustrate the the the, in, the 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 importance of intent behind actions. When a baby bites on bites the source of the milk, he's not being evil, unkind. There is, the intent is far from inflicting pain on the source of his food, at least, as far as I know. And so, this intent, and this is where this is where evil begins to um, really take shape. Is when children began become aware at certain points of certain things. They become aware of themselves. They become aware of themselves liking something. They become aware of the opposer to themselves. They become aware of you know the the strange commerce between uh, between other human beings. And what happens is they start making choices that benefits them and them alone and the intense behind your actions begins to change. I'm actually seeing this with my son right now. His eyes says, I know what is going on. Is there is that, that, that you know, he knows when he's not listening to his mom. He knows that, you know? And so I think choice and intent play a lot into it. And choice, choice and intent are so far, as far as I can see, very far removed from babies
0: i i I think that's an excellent point um it actually kind of reminds me of like the uh the legal term mens rea which is like a latin term and anytime they're trying to like convict someone of a crime so let's just say someone is guilty of murder or whatever they are always looking to see what was the state of mind of the person because if it was an accident you could argue that that person is not really guilty, right? Because if if something happens, like in the case of like the bus example where the guy is just stretching, if his mind does not intend harm, then he's not guilty of anything. It's just a pure accident. He was just stretching out his legs. And I think you're right in terms of the baby. The baby doesn't know that harm is going to fall upon the mother when he goes for milk, right? He just doesn't know that. So there, there is no harm there. That's a good question of like, when exactly are we aware that we are like inflicting harm onto somebody else, right? Because for example, let's say you have two toddlers playing with a, a fire truck, right? And one toddler just grabs that fire truck from the other toddler. And you, you would think, well, that's var- that's rather selfish. Look at that toddler just taking that fire truck. But the toddler might be just thinking to himself, I saw a red fire truck and I wanted it and may not have the awareness or the like the mens rea to know that somebody else was in possession of that red fire truck and was having a good time. Like, like th- this happened actually um, just to me yesterday, right? So yesterday my girlfriend and I, we were getting like a little dessert at this French cafe And we sat down at this table and then all of a sudden someone popped out of nowhere and said, oh, no, 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 uh, I left my keys there. We're actually sitting there. And I said, oh, my bad. No, no, no worries at all. Right. And it's like, did I steal that person's chair? Well, mentally I did not because I had no idea that someone was actually sitting there until it was like pointed out. So I think the same thing is true of children. It's like, at what age do we start becoming aware that there are other people in this world and that it's not just you seeing the red fire truck. There's five other people vying that f- red fire truck toy as well.
1: Yeah, this is one of the biggest problems with uh, um, a totalitarian state that has to do with, you know, grand policing, mm-hmm. is that once the law is broken, it's broken. If it's, If it's harsh punishments and strict laws, then it's um, often what happens is it doesn't matter what the intent is, when law is law, and this is what the law is for, actually, except for, you know, um, that's why the law will never be perfect, because it really cannot judge the state of the, it cannot judge the truest intent of the man. So what the man had thoughts in the moments before and prior to it can only be, you know, ascertained um, through hindsight, questioning and so forth. And what you know, um, and what also, and, and the intense, the intense of the heart, and so forth. So it, it's um, laws are helpful, very helpful, very important, absolutely, because they. Um, I, I would imagine that it does more good than harm, but uh, it still does a lot of harm. So,
0: well, yeah. You know, I, I I hear what you're saying. I. I'm wondering, like a question is is just arising in my head as you speak, of like, at what age can we fully say that you're aware about the feelings of others? Because I I feel like like to answer this, there has like in order to ascribe guilt to somebody, there has to be an age where you're fully aware that other people could get hurt or other people have feelings, right? And it, it's debatable. Like I, I, think that you know, um, if you if you look at psychology literature, they'd be like, well, you know, a, a, a kindergartner is aware that there's other kin- kindergartners, right? But the the ability to empathize, being like, oh, wait a minute, because I said that hurtful thing, that's why that person's feeling sad. I, I have actually two questions for you, Kenny. One mm-hmm. is there an age where we should expect everyone to to kind of have that realization? And two. Does everybody get to that level? Does everyone actually get to that level of like, oh my goodness, my wife is angry at me because I said that thing uh, yesterday? Like, there might be actually eighty-year-olds in our in our society that are still not at that level. So, I'm I, sorry to interrupt, but I, I just think we have to kind of clear those things out of the way first. No, no,
1: no worries at all. So, the first thing is well, when it comes to the age. My good man, I, I have. I'm not entire, I'm not. I'm not too sure because I. Except if you're looking at it from a very, you know, um psychological standpoint and saying, you know, or um physiological, it's saying, okay, at certain points, at certain ages, their brain is developed to a certain you know capacity, and therefore, you know, these things should be should be available, should be, should be, they should be aware of certain things. I mean, because for some kids, I, I've seen it, I've seen it as early as um, two, three years old in children, and some as late as five, um, five, six, seven. So that's, I think, is one of those things where people talk about, you know, kids losing their innocence, um, at least in, you know, when you look at the kids' eyes, it's almost like they've lost that, they, they're, they're, they're too, they're too aware, you know, they're too there, too there, man, too there. <laughs> um, so I think, uh, I think, I think it varies. And I couldn't say for sure, but I do believe it varies. And I suspect that each case would have to be um, tailored, you know, to, uh, tailored to the individual. Then when it, absolutely, I believe that there are, the second, the second question, I think that there are people who don't get it and who will never get it. Not because they don't have the capacity to get it, because they're just uninterested in getting it. But there are those who don't have the capacity to get it. But you find that, well, often those these people have to be taken care of for most of most of their lives and so it's 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 understandable but that's just we're talking about less than one percent of the world so if um but there so there are people there are there are people grown grown adults i mean full fully i mean talking about you know gray hair um we've had kids their kids have had kids and you're still, they still don't get this. You know, they don't care for other people. They don't see other people. They only think about themselves. Complain, cry, and claw. Excuse me. They do. Crying is also a manipulative tactic, but um, they do claw, cry, and you know, um, fight their way to getting whatever it is they want. You know, they want their kids to see them, or they grab them by the throat and shake them around if they, and so forth. You know. Um, so yeah, there are people who, who don't
0: get this. Absolutely. Okay. So there's something very horrifying and, you know, again, in Truth Island, we always go into the cave of horrors <laughs> and it's important that we're doing this. So we have to think about the two types of people that might be running through our society. So on one hand, you might have a third grader yeah. and this third grader is very, very, very sensitive. And this third grader is aware that they need to share. They're aware that it's a nice thing to do. Like when they have five pencils and one of the kids at their desk needs a pencil, they're always they're like, here you can have my pencil, you know, no worries, right? So you could have a third grader that gets it, that absolutely gets it, is moral, empathetic, understands that other people exist in the world. And then you could have an 85 year old in a nursing home who's like, hey, don't touch my, uh, my don't touch my hot chocolate, you know, like, like, so I, I find that very frightening. I, I find it frightening that we live in a world where an eight year old could have like Supreme, like, like high levels of, of morality. Like have you ever seen that movie or read the, read the book on uh, Matilda by any chance by, by Roald Dahl. Mm. Right. I didn't. Sorry,
1: I didn't. I saw the movie. I never read read the
0: book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I read I I did I read the book and then I um I saw the I saw the movie back back when Mm -hmm. it came out way 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 back when, and it's like you have a girl like Matilda who is a child, right? Was she in like fourth grade or something? I forget, but she Mm -hmm. has like the she has like the maturity and the empathy to realize like there's other people in this world and I need to take care of those other people and I need to be sensitive to the needs of others. Whereas we have, you know, people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s and they just don't get it like they just don't get that there's a world outside of themselves and like why, what the heck is going on here? You know, like what what the heck is going on here? Because it kind of flips everything upside down where we think, well, you know once you develop that long gray beard you're gonna be mature and you're gonna be Obi-Wan Kenobi and completely wise in the way of the world. But it doesn't seem to be working that way because we have eight year olds that are like Obi-Wan Kenobi and then we have 80 year olds that are acting that are still in this like infantile stage of development. Help me out here, my friend.
1: Well, it's you know everyone to eat, to everyone has a different lot. Everyone has a different situation, and um, it's in, <clears throat> it's important to know that you know not a, not all men are created equal. I mean, uh, there are women who are vastly mm-hmm. vastly you know vastly more superior in in sense of intelligence and in even honor to their husband to their husbands. There are men who are vastly more superior to their wives and their colleagues and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's incredible. How it's not, it's not, e- so we're not equal. We're not equal. Now we're equal under the law. That's a different story. Every man ought to be um, judged equally under the law, but people are so different. And some are brilliant at certain subjects and others are just miserably miserable <laughs> the way that seems subjects. So you find that some of these young people, eventually they grow up to be very thoughtful and caring, hopefully. Adults and elderly, NDL, and 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 uh, a very um, productive part of the elderly citizen citizenship. But um, while others, uh, you know, just born selfish and grew up, grew up keeping their selfishness. But and some do change. Some do change along the way. Um, something happens in their life, and they just wake up. They say to themselves, "Behold, I am not the only one here." And it's it's, it's fantastic to see that <laughs> <laughs> to see their eyes, you know, to see their lives change. So I would say that it's kind of like it's kind of like luck, really. You, you're just lucky with what you get, you know, because a lot of us in this world didn't really do we over, we underestimate, <clears throat> we underestimate the amounts of we underestimate we underestimate the, the amount of help we acquire from luck. Just happenstance. Born in the right place, born in the right country, born on the right parents, born with the right siblings, born in the right situation—just for Um, Parents send you to the right school. You meet the right people. The right people lead you to down the right path. The right path, you know, the right path leads you down the right books. The right books lead you down the right movies. The right movies lead you down the right songs, and you are just set for life, you know. And others, others not so much. Now, I'm not saying that people's people's. Choices aren't important, no, not at all. I think it, you still play a very good, uh, a very you know, very uh, hefty parts in how your life turns out. Absolutely, but there is also this this factor that we rarely take into account: this luck factor, lady luck, lady chance, roll of the die, the cosmic die. Right? No one knows um, what you what they're going to get. Some of us get a box of chocolates. Others get, <laughs> get a pot full of, you know, filthy, rattling snakes.
0: Okay. I'll, I want to... I'm going to challenge a little bit of what you're saying here. Not not because I think it's wrong, but no, I, no, I, I want to... I just like... <laughs> like you're saying the transmission is wrong, and I'm like... <laughs> you, you might be right. Maybe it's the transmission, but, but let's take a look at the rest of the car first. Okay. I from what you're saying, now I'm having some difficulty believing that let's take our selfish 85 year old. I'm finding it very difficult to believe that that selfish 85 year old was just terribly unlucky in life, right? Because like, I, I'm just, ha- I'm just having difficulty being like, come on, there weren't enough experiences in your life to kind of awaken you to what's what's going on like there weren't enough you know downfalls maybe when you got divorced from your first wife or something in 1976 like that wasn't a wake-up call or you know like I find it hard to believe because all of us in this world are allotted some pleasure and we're also allotted a certain degree of suffering, right? In my experience, suffering is the great antidote. Like the more you suffer, the more you learn and the more empathetic you become, right? I feel like suffering actually does that to a person. It actually makes them a better person. So in, in some ways, the more unluckier you are, the more that you have the ability to learn and to grow wisdom. If you remember. In the book, Matilda, Matilda's parents are crappy, right? Like if you remember the, her parents are actually, you know, completely barbaric. They just watch TV all day. So Matilda is born into this like situation where her parents don't care anything about book learning and and whatnot. And it's through her suffering and through her alienation with her own parents that she actually becomes a better person. And I think all of us have a certain degree of suffering, of downfalls, of divorces, of uh, betrayals and all this other stuff. Yet some people, when they're suffering and they're what I call all alone, right? Like you know, everyone falls to this, Every everyone probably has had a moment in their life where they feel all alone. Right. And some people are like, okay, why is it that I'm feeling all alone? What have I done wrong? And how mm-hmm. do I change that? Whereas some people fall all alone, but yet they keep on continuing with the same level of, of, Idiocy. So I don't why is that? Because I I just don't believe it's cosmic luck. I think we all have a fair degree of suffering in our lives. Some people tend to learn from that suffering, others don't.
1: Yeah. So it's not not simply that it's just, you know, um, cosmic luck is not, I would say, is it's not like uh it's not the the camel that, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. It's just one of the straws. Um so the idea that, so for example, that everybody deals with deals with um hardship, suffering, um, I would say differently. And I would say, I would imagine there, are, you know, one of just three ways you sit there, you empath. you learn you learn empathy because the suffering has dealt dealt with you in such a way that you one for one reason or the other realize that there are people who are going through these things too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um this makes you hard, I mean, it hardens you makes you harder than you were before because you're thinking to yourself, why do I deserve this? That's all you think, why do I deserve this? You're already a selfish person, right? So it's not like you're just going to break down and this happens, but it's very unlikely. So you think, why do I deserve this? The universe is a cruel and unhappy place. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to live my life as best as I can to avoid as much suffering as I can. And you know, say, pork the universe every time I can. Because The universe sucks. And it's only how to get me specifically, but I won't let it get me. And the other person just runs away from everything. Once when one thing gets hard here, they run to, you know, they run to Mexico. And when, when something gets hard in Mexico, they run, they run to Canada. When something gets hard in Canada, they fly to Switzerland. And so forth. So we have the runners, we have the fighters, and we have the people who are affected in a positive way, in a, in a transformative way by suffering so absolutely i believe you that it's not just you know it's, it's hard to buy that it's just it's just I, I'm not, it's not just i'm not saying it's just luck i'm saying that luck does play a factor into the way we deal with these things because you know even the person who the person who accepts their lot, accepts the, the suffering and you're right suffering does it is the great it is one of the great equalizers if suffering does you know changes for the better and the, the big question is the person who, who who understands that how do they come to that understanding or was it simply a matter of your own intellect and your own understanding about life sure where did they acquire such you know such understanding you know um,
0: i like that- i like your theory here about um those who dwell and runners and i, I think that those who dwell tend to improve whereas people who run away tend not to improve so let's take this example let's say we have two 40 year olds okay they're both 40 years old and let's say both of these 40 year olds have been complete bastards to their wives they're just selfish guys they just do whatever is want they gambled away the vacation money and they're both 40 and the wife comes and says we're getting a divorce right one 40 year old decides to be like breaks down and stays at home and says, Man, how did I lose my wife? What have I done wrong? And actually retraces the steps in his past and looks at all the hurtful things that he said, all of the hurtful things that he's done. Whereas the other 40 year old is like, screw this, I'm going to Cancun and I'm gonna go pick me up another wife. So I think there's I, I think that there's like perhaps a tendency within all of us to either run and and just find external pleasure right and that prevents us from because if you run away from your problems and you seek external pleasure you yourself don't actually improve whereas other people have capacity to sit with themselves and actually improve so maybe that's that maybe that's the the threshold or that's where morality is derived from
1: i would say that's that's it's possible and it's if i can see it i can see it i can see it being the case in many situations um, now, for example, the 40, but he, you know, life isn't even for the 40 year old person who is running away, life isn't over yet because change, change, I still believe that change has to do with yes, something good in us, something, something, um, something, something that has to do with our, something of our own choosing for sure, but it also has to do with something external something that we could not have, you know, um, given something that most of us can't give an account for. If you ever, you know, heard the stories of somebody who tell you that they were on your last luck, and they were actually about to take their own lives. And all of a sudden, right there, right before they make the decision, someone comes and sits next to them, asks them for cigarettes. And, um, the person doesn't look like anything just unassuming just a regular well, hobo of a person asks for a cigarette and they sit down smoking and, smoke and this, this person this person who are who just you know calm has no idea he's trying to the, the other lad is trying to kill himself and he talks to him for a good amount of time and uh he says a thing something that uh the other lad finds finds amazing, finds important, finds, it just happens to be the thing to keep him alive, that night, even if it's just for that night, it's something, you know. Point is that he, it wasn't, it wasn't so much his own, I mean sure he gave him the cigarette, absolutely, but it wasn't so much his own doing, it was an external force that came into the situation, it was luck, it was, and I, I, you know, I think that a lot of us have we our lives the people we are today a lot of it has to do with the external forces the ideas that we hold sacred the ideas that we hold sh- you know strongly um, the ideas that the ideas that inform the way we make our decisions we weren't born with and if we were if we were born with then why we and not others so I think that's I think you are right in the sense that, yeah, absolutely. The selfishness is in fact a problem, but the selfishness often has to do, you know, um, the very fact that there are those who are not selfish is is not a matter of, should I say it's not simply, because it is, it is a matter of choice, but it's not simply a matter of choice, but it's also a matter of external forces. Um, pushing, pushing one man towards one way, pushing the other ones, pushing one man towards another.
0: Wow. Wow. Now it's funny. You mentioned that story about, um, I've actually heard stories like that too. Like somebody was about to kill themselves or whatever. And then all of a sudden um, you know, a homeless guy or whatever approaches them and distracts them from doing it. And people will be like, that's an angel, right? Like God is sending an angel there to, to get you off this or something. And I hear you. I hear you. That there are these like, like magical, magical beings that kind of pop into our lives and push us and prod us and direct us in all sorts of 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 weird ways. And I I feel you on that. However, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, there's you know, yeah, absolutely, man. Leprechauns, um, wizards, uh, fairy godmothers, you name it. Here's the thing though. Here's the yeah, thing. Yeah, talk to me. Talk there to might me. be one chap when the homeless guy comes up to him and asks for a cigarette, that changes his life. He's like, Oh yeah, you know, there is a reason to live. But there might be another dude who, you know, shoes the homeless guy away and says, Go away, go away, and and still commits the act. Yeah, so like, like so so even, even with these magical external forces at play, which which I I I I've heard enough stories to believe that. Such is the case, but even with these external actors and and wizards and all of the angels and and whatnot, you still have that capacity to shoo those forces away and ignore them. You still have the, the capacity within yourself to be like, okay, that's nice. Here's a cigarette. Now get away from me. I- I'm still going to do this. And I'm just wondering, like, what what's you know th- there is like there is some. There is some free will there, man. Like there's still, it's, we're not just like little robot. We're not just like um, tennis balls. We're not just complete tennis balls where one guy serves us and the other guy bounces us back. This yeah. tennis ball does have some free will to be like, no, I'm going out of bounds right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's um, free will is definitely, I mean, without without free will, we wouldn't be, you know, human. So I think that free will is very important. Yeah. I mean, it's it's true. Um, but I think it's uh, it's a matter of free will, and external um, luck, external external forces beyond our control. One, uh, it's, it's it's like it's this weird, silly domino effect where um, you're born, and you know all of a sudden you you start living your life, and. Uh, well, you have very little control. There's no free will in the matter of where you're born, how, you, how you're how you born, where you're born and to whom you're born. You can't choose that, at least as far as I know, I couldn't choose that. Um, but those kinds of things do affect the kind of person you become. Now, that's not to say that the, the, the responsibility is 100% off the person's shoulders. No, that's not true. But I think that they, it, it is important to take those things into account because they do affect the person. They do affect to some, to some extent. So, I, I knew I knew two people. Um, one person was born in a very difficult family. Um, very difficult family. The kind of family that, you, you know, when the person, you, you, you hear them, you know, after they've murdered someone on the news, you say, well, that's the kind of family they came from. And we're like, oh, that makes sense, that makes sense, of course, right? And uh, he turned out just fine they are not just fine has you know five kids doing well has a job and all that stuff right i know another lad who was born in a very upright family you know um family that is uh, you know they go to church on sundays they father threw a ball in the park with his son mother made casseroles and they brother and sister fought over video games only to be brought together again to say hey you apologize i'm sorry And the other kids, like, you know, lost his bloody mind. One of them is, you know, just not doing as great as, I'm saying if you put those two lives together, the the guy from the broken family is doing far better than the guy from the, you know, strong, put-together family, doing far better. Um, Emotionally, psychologically, you know, even externally. My point is simply that it's not simply about luck. I know that. But I'm saying that there are things in this world that push us towards one thing or the other. Now, the factor, the factor, and I'm not a mathematician, so I couldn't tell you the probability of these things. It may be small, even if it's even if it is a small factor. Um, I believe that free will and our choices do play a large factor into it. Absolutely, but as human beings, we overest- either we ever overestimate our our powers to our power of. Um, which is our powers over our life, our power over our lives. And we underestimate the power of external either, you know, luck, chance, and and forces of the sorts.
0: Okay, so this is, you know, we're getting into some some very tough territory here. Because on one hand, if we see an incredibly wicked 85-year-old man, you know, it's hard to say, oh, well, uh, what a poor chap. He just had some... Weird external forces that pushed him to be wicked at eighty-five. Mm. Um, I, I'll, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give some your theory a bit more credence though because I know this. If you're an incredibly wicked person, right, mm. and you're incredibly lucky that actually fosters more wickedness. So let's just say that you're a wicked guy and you're born to a rich family. And let's say you do a bunch of crimes and your rich daddy comes and bails you out from those crimes and you don't learn anything, you don't suffer. So I agree with you. I think there's credence to your theory that if you are incredibly wicked, but you are in a ultra soft environment where you're, where you never need to suffer that enables you to become even more wicked because it's, it's as simple as that. Like every, every child and every teenager at some point or another likes to push the boundaries. We all, and we all like to do this. We all like to push boundaries and the worst thing that can actually happen to you, especially when you're a teenager is no one pushes back. Because what happens is that you start going into invincibility mode of like, oh, well, <laughs> I can do whatever I want. There's no consequences. And that I agree with you is external luck. So if you if you have wicked tendencies and no one is checking your wickedness, it actually fosters more wickedness. And I, I agree with you that that's actually a factor that's solely out of your control. Whereas you might've been born with a certain degree of wickedness, but then you got checked, you got suspended from school, or then, you know, you lost your job or you spent a couple years in jail or whatever it is. And that checked your wickedness, right? Like as soon as your wickedness is checked, it forces you to reflect where some people have been quote unquote, incredibly lucky or unlucky, depending on how you want to view it. And their wickedness never goes checked. Therefore, one could conclude, well, it looks like this person was meant to be wicked, which is, incredibly frustrating, right? Like there's certain people in this world that are just meant to be wicked.
1: Well, some, some people would argue that. Some people would argue that. I couldn't say for sure. I couldn't say, in fact, I, I lean, I, I, what am I, the reason I couldn't say for sure is because there are some people that just seem to really enjoy it, like to the very end. It's incredible. They just uh, um, They just seem to, it almost seems like you uh, say it's, to them they're playing a they're playing a role, a part that's it, it, it just <laughs> that they seem to just love. But but I can say for sure, and I lean towards no, I don't think so, because I think I believe in free will. And I believe that if a person can choose, they can choose themselves in and out of wicked things. Now, I here's the thing, the whole idea that you know luck and all that plays into part. I hope this not negate does not negate responsibility. Because at the end of the day, we're still responsible for what we do because we know. We know right and wrong. We may have choices that help us make right, cho- right decisions easier, and others that help us make wrong decisions easier. But we still know the difference between right and wrong. Just because a person finds it hard to blow, you know, finds finds it hard to move the chair doesn't mean they can't move the chair. Yes, sir. with a little time, with a little, um, with a little effort, you can move the chair, I think it's the same way with making the right choices, it may be difficult for you to make them because you're not used to making them, and because you don't understand, you know, um, you don't understand, should I say, fully the benefits of making them. I think, I forget who says, to know, to know the good is to do the good. That person had no idea no idea about human beings because human beings know we often know what is good but we don't do it we don't do it now i hope i hope he means to truly know the good which is yeah. nice. to truly know the good is to do the good now if that's the case then absolutely but to superficially to just say oh yeah i know i know that going left is absolutely the best thing to do and i'm gonna do it
0: <laughs> so it's
1: like a fish out of water go and talk to me
0: so I think you're speaking to something that's really at the um, the crux of goodness here, and and that is this: if you are deriving your goodness from consequences or from suffering, I mean, don't get me wrong; that there's still goodness in that, right? So, for example, um, I was a wicked guy, and then my wife divorced me, and I suffered, and now I'm a better person. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. It's still, it's yeah. still a beautiful. Um, in, in, in like manga or something, we would call that a redemption arc. (laughs) You start off wicked or something and you go through the character goes through a redemption arc And, and redemption arcs are very beautiful. It's very beautiful that you, you were wicked and then something came to you and then that made you become better. Awesome. Great, great storytelling device, by the way, I guess, true goodness, true goodness is when you still act good even though you don't have any fear of consequences whatsoever. So you still do the right thing, even though you're not even worried or concerned that you might be punished for doing the wrong thing. Right. And that's, I think that's the highest state of morality where you're like, well, I, I, I have the option to do the wrong thing and it doesn't look like I'm going to be punished for doing the wrong thing. And yet I'm still going to do the right thing. And that. That's extremely hard for us as human beings to achieve because a lot of our behavior of whether we decide to do right or wrong is still dependent on consequences. Let's just be honest. Us primates here are like me do this, me get punished; me do that, me get reward. Okay, like as much as advanced as we want to think we are, that's that's exactly the kind of things that are going on in our brain. I think the higher state to achieve is. I want to do the right thing because it's the right thing, even though no one is looking right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, uh, that, that is, that is, a, that is where we ought to be because the fear of punishments is not, um, it's not an adequate, um, it's not an adequate force to stop us from even doing committing the evil. So, I mean, if you look, if you think I'm kidding, look at our prison system. We know that prisons exist. We know cops exist. We know that, yet we still, our systems are filled to the brim. So um, the idea that yeah, it's, it's not, it's definitely not about the fear of punishments, but to turn a person, the transformation of a, of, a, of a person to a good person, to a truly good person, doesn't, has nothing to do with, you know, fear or even, it's it's simply a desire to do the good. And uh, and to do and to do the good regardless, um, even if the good was to be, it is as if you were living in a world where the good would be punished. To do the good because one knew it was good.
0: So this is now, you know, I think that perhaps the atheist won't like me saying this, but perhaps this is where like a belief in God comes in handy because if, if, if you know that you're just doing good things for the sake of goodness, because there's a higher purpose or a higher plan in place, perhaps that could be the tool that you use. Like if you believe like, okay, no one's watching, there's no consequences, but I'm going to do good for the sake of good, because I'm an instrument in a higher purpose then that perhaps allows someone to develop like some level of super morality, if you would. Right. Because I would have to get an atheist on the show to see if that level of super morality could be derived without God. I'm not seeing it. You know, I I don't know because that's the goal of us as humans is develop super morality where we're doing instinctually the right thing just for the sake of like the, Like there's this, you know, we're doing it like the virtue is in the thing itself. We're just doing the right thing because it's the right thing. There's no external consequence or reward that's coming there. I think God is a pathway to that kind of behavior. Is there anything else that I'm missing here? Maybe there's something I'm missing here that could also get people to behave in this like super morality type of system.
1: I think that's the existence of God and let me not say the existence of god but often let me say it like this because i think um it happens a lot with religion it becomes the morality itself gets twisted and you start doing things because you wants to go to heaven
0: yes right right and then right, it yeah. becomes
1: this very strange desire it is no longer the good for the sake of goodness but good for the sake of heaven and that's strange and so there, I mean, there's a peculiar idea, you know, when Christ speaks and he talks about, you know, um, anybody who believes in the air of the belly will fill rivers of living water. Now, that idea is superb in the sense of, and it's it's also something that Lao Tzu speaks of, at least, at yes, least I think so. Idea that one would have a force, a source of good within them. That cares nothing for left nor right. It's not about. It's not so much about anything besides the good. For it's the good for goodness' sakes, um, and uh, that 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 idea is um, it's fantastic, because you're dealing with you're dealing with a human being. Um, you're dealing with a human being who is not on your level. Dealing with a human being who is who does what is good simply because it is good, who does not care for the gifts that come from the good, nor the punishment that comes from the bad it's just the goodness itself is all they seek and that's that's a wicked that's a bloody wicked <laughs> a place to be. <laughs> I,
0: I, I, I I agree with that. I absolutely agree. It's like the guy, the guy who could say, "I'm going to be good for the sake of being good, even though I believe I'm just going to rot in the ground when I'm dead." Right? Like because like the guy who's saying, "Well, I'm going to be good, so I get to go to heaven and have a first class ticket there, and there's big screen televisions up in there, and IMAX theater." You know, like that. that, It's like, come on, dude, you're you're doing you're acting good because you want. To get a reward, right? It's yes. like a, it's like a Chuck E. Cheese sure. kind of. I want to get my token so I can get the cool prize at the end of the game. And it's like, no, but the truly good person believes that like I'm going to be good, even though when I die, I'll most likely just rot in the ground and nothing yeah, at so all. The, the, the okay. atheist
1: actually has the greater opportunity to do this, you know, um, naturally speaking. And that's so
0: it. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: The only problem, the only problem I can see with the atheist is that. Who down? Who down? Determines what is good and what is evil. Mm-hmm, yeah. The only problem is who determines it. Is it you? Is it the state? Is it you collectively? Who Who is the uh, author of the good and the evil?
0: Because the, the the atheists could make the mistake of ascribing all goodness to themselves and they may not be aware of when their ego is kind of taking over, right? Their ego might be taking over and um, it never
1: really does.
0: <laughs> yeah, right? Like, 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 like the ego might take over and they think, well, this is this is for the good of society. It's like n- no, sir, like you're not looking external to yourself and and you're just satisfying the the whims of your ego unknowingly. Um, and, you know, again, like I, I can't fully get into that, to their mindset. So it's, it's hard for me to even make that kind of judgment, but yes, yes. Okay. So Hmm. let's, let's talk about like, let's go back to the broader question here of, of if we're good or evil, right? We we actually know what pure goodness is now, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) right. But the, the thing that we need to ask ourselves here is. I like what you said about this default setting, like that, that, you know, the baby does not know whether it is good. It does not know it's evil because it's unaware that it's helping or harming anybody. Right. And that it's external influences that are kind of teaching us or prodding ourselves. So I guess the question remains here is how does the individual interact with those external forces? So I'm going to give you a hypothetical here. Let's say we had two babies and Everything about these two babies is identical in terms of what happens to them in terms of their external reality. Mm-hmm. Two babies, okay, baby A, baby B, they both have the same abusive parents, they both have the same teachers, they're both the same friends. So, two babies have an identical trajectory. Like, they're, they're, their experiences are 100% identical. Everyone will mm-hmm. react to them in the same way. Baby A, chooses to uh, throughout the course of their lifetime, negate those evil forces and kind of like just go in the opposite direction. Whereas baby B succumbs to the evil forces that are kind of propelled. So there is a question of some people do have something intrinsic to them and we can call this DNA or specific type of soul, if you would, that allows them to kind of manipulate or negate certain experiences to make them better, whereas other people succumb to their negative experiences and it actually ends up making them worse.
1: Yeah, I mean if we're talking about if it's if it's a you know difference in DNA and personality and so forth. And yeah. absolutely I see I can, I can see them both having the same experience and having different outcomes. Um, but if you're talking about identical to the very T to the very core, I I I suspect they'll come out the exact same way.
0: Um, Even so, if they had different DNA. So the external the external things that happen to them are identical, but they have different DNA.
1: If they have different DNA, then we're talking about something else. And I, I do believe that it's possible for them to come out differently. Yeah, okay. With, you know, um, yeah. Um, so, um, so yes, I, I, I would agree I would agree
0: with you on that. I guess, I guess it's all kind of a game of chance in a way, because the things that happen to you in this world externally, pure chance – and your DNA is also pure chance, right? And it's a pure chance in what kind of DNA you're encoded with, and it's pure chance in what kind of external um, things happen to you in this world. My oh my, this is um, yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's a little sad, actually. <laughs>
1: it is, it is, but it's not, it's not, it's 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 not entirely chance. Chance actually does play a factor, as far as I know. Yeah. But. Um, we, we humans are still agents, we're still autonomous agents.
2: Mm.
1: And it's a very interesting dance between chaos and order. So we have, we have choices to make, just because some choices may be, I mean, now just like it's harder for an alcoholic to say no to a nice bottle of scotch. He can't say no, it's just harder, you know? I think that some of us are born with, you know, certain dispositions that make it harder to make certain kinds of choices. That does not in any way, at least as far as as far as human interaction go and consequences go, does not in any way negate the fact that they made those choices. Right. So you know, if you're if you're if you're if if you're one who's prone to anger and bursts of rage and wrath, and you end up killing somebody in a bar fight, listen, mate, doesn't matter how sweet you are to your kids, doesn't matter how wonderful you are at work, doesn't matter if the president loves you, you might you're going to jail. It's just that simple. Right, They've yeah. You're going to jail for a while. And so we understand that it was a hard decision for him to make. Absolutely. We understand that he still could have said no. It was just a harder the, the spectrum of no was sure smaller. All right. It's like playing 2K. I don't know if you ever played the basketball game too uh two k <laughs> You're trying to get the green, the green shot meter. Super hard, incredibly difficult. <laughs> Change that 2K, please. Um, but you can still get you can still get it,
0: you know? Yeah, right, yeah
1: this is this is one of the reasons it's hard for it's it's hard it's hard to i believe that everybody's responsible for their actions and therefore us to pay rewarded or punished for the actions consequently for their actions but this is where judgments needs to slow down in the sense of it's very we must be careful how we judge individuals we must be careful because we are saying things about them in one area that we ourselves absolutely do and commit in another area, some people their their wickedness or has their sins may be very clear, very visible. But a man who gets angry and hits a person, we look at him and say, whoa what a bastard! What a complete bastard! What a what a jackass! What a!" But we're doing the exact same thing in a different way. So maybe we don't get up and hit them but in our minds in our hearts we're cursing them out and grinding our teeth and wishing them dead that's just as bad mate but of course you look at it no one can see it because you're smiling you know we judge others too quickly and we often and we don't know exactly what makes the person tick we don't know the difficulties of their own minds the limitations of their experiences their hearts and so forth some people will say well that doesn't matter how does that matter it matters to me mate So I don't think, though I think everybody should be rewarded for their good behavior and should be punished for their bad, absolutely, because that's just how the law works. That's how society works. That's how civilization is built. We ought to know that we are one hop and a skip away from being complete fools ourselves and making artists of ourselves and going straight to jail. And so we ought to to know that all men are but a, uh, how do you say, a shit stain in a cosmic wall.
0: Yeah, I I think that, um, again, insignificance can make us feel really bad, but it can also make us feel really great. It's it's a really dual-edged sword right there, right? (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe just, you know, we're not gonna find closure on this topic because people have been debating this for thousands of years. Are we good? Are we bad? Or what's this? Do we have free will or no free will? I I do think that one takeaway though, and and this is just maybe our little little tiny contribution here, is that if you are engaged in bad behavior and you're lucky enough that suffering comes your way as a result of your bad behavior, do not run from it. I, I think that's one like if there's any evidence of all at all of free will then I think it's that, is that we always have the freedom to run from our suffering and try and negate it with with alcohol, with drugs, with vacations, with wh- whatever it is. And we also have the ability to kind of sit put and kind of relish in that suffering and grow from it. So I think, I think if there was any case at all to make a free will, it's that choice right there, is that when suffering comes, choose to just sit in the chair of suffering and grow from it instead of running from it. Um, but again, you know, all those things depend on your DNA and a host of other factors. Uh, Kenny, thank you so much for uh, kind of grappling with something
2: very difficult here. No worries,
0: my good man, Thank you for having me. This concludes the 147th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.